it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. This is Beer is a Conversation, and of course, we love to talk about beer. This week, I have with me Brendan Dowd and Stephen House, co-founders of Resin Brewing in the New South Wales town of Bulleye, located on the land of the traditional custodians, the Tarawal people. Uh, Resin opened to the public in 2020, which I'm sure feels like a million years away uh, now, but it was a project that the team developed in a historic former railway guest house, which was hit by arson attacks and was in a bit of a state uh, when the guys took it on. They subsequently won a National Trust Adaptive Reuse Award in 2020 for their heritage build. So gone from strength to strength, despite all the challenges of the past couple of years. So, hey, guys, thank you very much for coming on the Bears of Conversation podcast. Thanks for having us. No worries. Um, How how are you doing? What are you up to? Well, Steve's actually down in Jindabyne at the moment, and um, I'm just here getting some work done. All going well? Busy, busy? Yeah, it's starting to pick up after that um, that second COVID lockdown. The weather hasn't been great to us, but, yeah, we're -hmm. we're busy, busy. Um, Off to Gabs in a couple of weeks, so just getting ready for that. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Is that your first one? It will be our first, yeah. 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 It's um it's exciting. Oh, how exciting. What what have you brewed for it? We've got a couple of our regular beers and then we also have a couple of barrel aged beers that we've done with um a few different a few different ads. So we've got a four different flavoured of our eight shade stout. And also some barrel-aged Britannomyces sours. So we'll see how they go. Oh, that sounds delicious. When did you guys start doing barrel aging? Um, we've got a few few small small barrels on site, and we've also got um, we've also got a mate that we partner with who's got a quite a big um, barrel aging setup nearby. So um, we're just just getting into that with him a little bit, and um, yeah, see how that goes. Not much space on site for us. Yeah, the, the barrels are a bit over a year now. They've, um, yeah, we've had them in Shiraz barrels and had a good year in there to to really get them to to mature and come alive. So we're looking forward to tasting them and seeing how they go as well. Yeah, that'll be gorgeous. And that must have been a little learning curve because, um, well, let's let's get back to the beginning. Uh, how did you get into brewing, guys? Because you were environmental consultants before, were you? Yeah, yeah, we, we got into the brewing in the garage like like most good brewers do. Um, yeah, just two mates that had been home brewing for years, and um, you know, st- oh, I think we both started originally with the old Cooper's kits twenty odd years ago, and then went into all grain uh, brewing from there, and just um, yeah, developed our passion for it from there. Excellent. So why, but why take the plunge? I mean, were you, I'm sure you were happy homebrewers, um, then taking on this massive project uh, of setting up and setting up in a heritage building. What, what sort of prompted you? I think, I think the, the grind of being environmental consultants was um, one of the things that tipped us over. Um, you know, as, as homebrewers, you've often got friends and family giving you the nudge, telling you you should start a brewery, your beer is great and things like that. But um, we were, we were, we were on 
long nights, long days being consultants and um, we'd often sit and enjoy our home brews together and talk about the the dream that would be to have your own brewery and after a while it just set in and we decided to give it a go. Oh, fantastic. But it requires a lot of prep. Um, so how did you, when did you start thinking about it? Was it quite a few years before you actually launched and, and how did you fund it? Was it all self-funded? We'd been dreaming about it for, for many years and um, I guess we'd kind of gone through the different models of brewing, like whether to do a, a sort of industrial area sort of, um, I guess, wholesale packaging type approach um, and in going through everything and, and what we wanted, I guess, for for ourselves and the community, we, we just decided to go the... Um, that the brew pub model was was better for what what we wanted and where we were at, and we'd, we'd kind of been kicking around a few different locations over years and years, and we had one place that we were talking to the the owners about leasing, and then they had some pretty unrealistic expectations with with um, how that was going to work, and there was this old heritage building that we knew that um that Woolies owned and had tried to get consent to knock it down, um, which had been refused and. Yeah, just one day we, we thought, well, let's, let's have a crack at that and pretty much got on the phone, dialed 1-800-Woolies and spoke to this lovely lady on the other end who who knew exactly who the property manager was for that site and put us through and they were, they were keen to get rid of it. We were, we were keen to buy it, so it started, sort of started from there. But why such a difficult build? Like you say, um, most breweries go tend to go in an industrial area purely because um zoning is a little bit easier on uh the planning process you guys went full hog fast um and like dive straight in did you feel you were well set up for that as well having been environmental consultants and having worked in that kind of space yeah it definitely helped steve and i had been doing that for the last you know 20 25 years so we knew a lot of the planning processes um you know obviously knew a few of the people at council knew how to engage um, council offices and things, so that definitely helped. Um, we definitely didn't plan on um, restoring a, a heritage house or anything to that effect. Um, it was just that we had the idea that a brew pub was what we wanted to do. Um, so when that site kind of became available, it was it was a few beers one night and we said, yep, let's do it, um, and then it just took its own course really. Um Steve and I kind of sat down and gave each other a few silos of who would do what and off we went. Yeah, and I think when, when we bought the property, it kind of very much went from being a dream to becoming reality and that was the kind of point we went, oh, oh shit, this is actually happening now. We're, let, let's um let's start getting a business plan and working out how we're going to make it at work because we'd been kind of like, <laughs> dreaming about it for so many years and it was, it was a bit surreal. It's like, yeah, we're actually doing this. Let's 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 do it. Let's do it well. I mean, that must have been a huge dive, though, because in being environmental consultants, that's a solid career. You know, there's no question about um, if COVID hits. Uh, you know, what are we going to do for the next two years? You'll you'd have had a job. What made you really want to? Because that's a scary move. Yeah, I guess there was a bit of push and pull. I, I think, as Brandon said a, a bit earlier, the the push was we'd, we'd been in that industry for 20 odd years and we, we it, it's it's an industry that can grind you down after a while it's, it's long hours it's hard work it's it's quite stressful um you know it's not all out in the bush 
catching critters and counting trees and whatnot. There's there's a lot of um, report writing and office work behind that, and that's not much fun. And I guess also at a stage in life where both in our sort of 40s and just thinking, well, if we're, if we're going to do a career change, it's kind of now or never. Yeah, definitely. And in comparison, uh, workload-wise, have you found brewing any easier? Like Since we started, it felt like I haven't worked a day in my life, to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> even the approval process and getting everything built and things um, over those first couple of years, you know, much less stress, much less grind, even though we were doing big days and things, the, the joy that we obviously got from it was um, much greater. You know, we, we, we like we said, we spent the last 20 years basically getting approvals for huge developers and miners and things like that and to actually, you know, you finish one of their projects that might take two or three years and you basically sign off on that approval. They've got their approval and you never hear from that project manager ever again. Um, and to be to be basically doing the same thing, but to come out with what we have now is just yeah chalk and cheese. And then you know the last two years, while we've had obviously the COVID issues and things, it still doesn't feel like I, I'm actually working. I don't know if Steve thinks the same. Well, I think um, you know a day when we're you know we might be triple batching and at two a.m. and you get a a stuck heat, heat exchanger or something like that, you kind of feel like you're working then and the stress has come through um, pretty full on. But, but generally it's um, like it's a good industry. I think I think you can make it as stressful as, as you want it to be, but we're, we're kind of, I think with the brew pub model, um, we're not stuck to having to meet distribution requirements and the requirements of our wholesalers we're, we're sort of more focused on just the quality of the beer and the quality of the the venue the food the service and um you know keeping our, our locals really happy and that's there's a lot of joy in doing that and you get to know your customers quite well and um get the pleasures of of sampling your own produce as well and, and building different relationships so it's the, the stress is there but they're, they're certainly different and but i think um, Brendan would agree. It's it's a lot more rewarding um, being part of the community and and doing something like a brew pub. Absolutely, and obviously bringing back a beautiful old building. Um, so tell me a little bit. I remember speaking to you guys oh, two and a half years ago, maybe now, and we were talking about the absolute state of this building. Um, before you guys took it on, so tell me a little bit about how bad it was and uh, what you had to do to to fix it. <laughs> Oh, it might be easy to tell you what we didn't have to do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> basically, everything. When the the first day we walked in, um, you know, we we knew we we kind of knew what we were getting, but once we actually had a walk around and 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 you know checked everything out, it was kind of like, oh hell, what have we done? Um, but from the start, we kind of we did have a vision and we knew what what it could be. It was just working out how the hell we were going to get there you know it was yeah it was in dire straits to be honest The kids had been partying in there there was you know drug addled squatters living in there for a while they'd burnt the stairwell down they'd ripped up all the floorboards there was you know there was a room that they used as their toilet things like that and you know then then termites rodents everything it was just yeah it was a bit of a mess so um it was a it was a definite clean up job to start with. I think that was pretty much our first box we ticked, wasn't it, Steve, to get the clean up done? 
Yeah, yeah. We took, um, I think there was about 20 tonnes of rubbish that, that had to get taken out of the building before we could even start working on it. Oh, my God, that's insane. Uh, when, when the, when the I guess, the last people that lived there yeah, had, had abandoned it, they just left all their furniture there and it had just been destroyed and um, set on fire in various rooms. And, yeah, it was, it was, just, a, it was just a mess. And then asbestos on top of that, termites, lead paint. Oh. Oh, yeah, lead paint. <laughs> oh my god! You may as well have just started a new one. Oh, do you? Did you ever wish you had? In the end, we, you know, what we got from Woolworths, you know, and what that cost us is probably, you know, at the time we might have been like, "What the hell have we done?" But you look back now, and we've got something that's, you know, you you can't you can't replicate that by doing something new it just doesn't work that way and the amount the amount of people that come in and just say you know tell us how proud they are to live in Bulai you know can't believe what they what what we've done with such an old building and what it used to be like it's it's pretty cool to hear that day in day out really one really cool thing you know now that we've kind of finished um Steve's dad's really into his photography and history and things and he went and went and pulled a whole um, library of old photos of Bulai and the house and the area and things like that, and they all hang on the wall in the Heritage House. And we often get, you know, people just walking in. They don't even buy a beer. They just come in and walk through the Heritage House and have a look at all the old photos and things. So it's really cool to see that. Yeah, that sounds absolutely brilliant, though. And what you did with it was amazing. But how did you prep it for um, the brew kit? Because I then it's not actually um, your brewery isn't in, in the main building, is it? No, so we've got... We've got the heritage house that sits out front, um, and basically, it's it's two story. Um, ground ground floor is basically how we've set it up is our dining spaces. So we use that we use that for um, for our food service, and then upstairs we, we had some um, access issues with the stairwell not meeting code, so it's staff only upstairs. Um, we use that for office space and. Um, storage, team rooms, bathrooms and things like that. And then a whole new build out the back, which is basically um, twice the size of the Heritage House. We've also got a deck that's um, about that size again as well. Um, and in terms of the brewery, yeah, we had to we had some flood issues um, with the whole site. So the, the house actually sits, what is it, Steve, about 800 lower than the rest of the build yeah yeah and we had council basically said we had to bring the back end of the, the new build up above the the flood zone um so there's a you know there's a couple of steps there and then we, once you get into that you get into all the issues of um disabled access and the like so then we had to put in a, like a twenty five thousand dollar lift to um you know allow disabled people to go down to that 800 mil distance and then with our um the, our all our all our tanks, we we weren't allowed to go up um, in height above the heritage building, um, just so that it maintained the prominence of the building. So we actually sunk a cellar down, a waterproof cellar down into the ground, and double stacked our tanks. So we got uh, fermenters on the bottom and and uh, ten heck brights on top. Um, so we had all these, I guess, planning challenges and that we had to come over oh, overcome with with different designs and. And then find ways how to integrate those into to actually making the place look pretty good. So there's yeah quite a few challenges. Yeah, with with the build actually 
dropping the tanks into that cellar was probably my favourite part of the whole build. We, um, <laughs> yeah, had to be down in the cellar while the while the crane driver was standing there with his remote control, dropping these huge vessels down into us and locating them on the floor. It was pretty cool. It's a pretty tight space down there. So um, by the last vessel, there was literally no, you know, it was millimetre types um, driving from the crane driver. It was it was amazing. Oh, wow. Um, but no room to grow then? Is that not, or is there going to no, spread out a little bit? Not at all. We're, we are, <laughs> yep, yep. The, um, you know, we talk about buying an extra, extra f- small 50 litre um, whiskey barrel or something to put some stout in and we've got to consider space constraints just for something like that. Yeah, we're at, um, we're at full capacity. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but the whole like approvals and planning process did sound completely mad. I know there are lots of brewers, regardless of where they're going uh, and where they're planning to build their brewery, have a lot of trouble with councils and getting approval. And a lot of it has to do with uh, the councils not really understanding what they're trying to do with the brewery. You know, it's not a forex um, brewery. It's not uh, a nightclub. Uh, did you kind of experience those same sort of issues? Not really. We we were pretty fortunate. Um, so we, we went and spoke to council very early in the process and basically told them what we wanted to do. Um, and I think in a lot of a lot of ways having the heritage building actually helped us with the, the planning process because they council and the community were very concerned about um, what was going to happen to that building longer term. And, and once council knew that we were, uh, I guess, committed to the restoration they actually got right behind our project and and um gave us a lot of support um with with how to design things how to work our way through the planning system we we sent in draft plans to them and and worked through i guess some of the design issues and they gave us really good feedback and we kind of got to a point where they just said if if you do xyz um unless there's you know a massive community upper or against this place uh, that that council would get behind us and support it. And we pretty much did what they asked. We didn't have any battles with them. Um, they were very reasonable with, with what their requests and expectations were. And, and we did get a pretty good run through the planning system. I think we, from submitting our drafts into them to getting actual approvals was, was um, about six months, maybe even a bit less. Um, and when you compare that a, a house in, in the local area, just a standard residential building takes... Um, you know, four to five months, then you look at six months for a brewery in a in a business zone, not in an industrial zone, and, it, yeah, it was a pretty good run for us. Very impressive. I'm, I've barely ever heard that. Um, some People tell me years sometimes that it takes from um, actually applying to getting their final approval. So that actually sounds like um, being in a heritage building worked in your favour uh, in, in some respects. But I imagine there were quite a few constraints on what you could do with the site as well. No, it's more how we designed it. We the big thing was, um, I guess, twofold. We we had to honour the the integrity of the building, but we had to design all the other build in a way that didn't sort of overshadow the building or detract from the building or, or stand out a bit more. And we, and we did have to, I go to an, I guess, go to an architectural style of design and do do something that was quite aesthetically pleasing and complementary to the building and. And didn't look like it was just a, a attempt at a, a sort of faux add-on to the building. So we 
we, we, we went that sort of modern industrial type approach to the new building so that you could clearly see what the new and what the old was, um, but did it in a way that was quite sympathetic to the old building. And um, it's, a, it's come up really well. We're, we're really proud of it and the community loves it. Council loves it. So, yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been good like that. But probably our bigger issues were with um, the utilities companies. So just <laughs> like ridiculous problems with um, the energy providers, with um, Sydney Water and some of the stuff, some of the absolute rubbish they came up with after after we built the place and basically going back on what they originally said to us and wanting us to retrofit the building um, with different um, waste management systems after they six months earlier told us what they wanted and signed off on that and wanted us to then go and spend another thirty, forty thousand dollars to to retrofit the building for something that would have cost us ten thousand dollars to do up front was was a bit frustrating. Yeah, power wise we're we're currently running off basically a residential pole mounted um, system. We thought we were going to upgrade that and we went around in circles. We ended up looking into having to get a, a pad-mounted sub on site. There was no space for that. So we went around in circles for quite a few months with that, didn't we, Steve, and ended up in the end finding out that we weren't going to get any upgrade to our power into the site. So we started looking at, at ways to kind of generate our own. We ended up with a co-generator, a natural gas co-generator that we've got up on the roof of the new build. Um, and ultimately now we're currently yet to use it. Um, it's still... Still needs to still needs to get signed off, but um, yeah, we're basically running off the existing power that came into the site. Yeah, we've got a three three phase sixty five amp connection, um, and somehow we're running a <laughs> brewery, um, a full commercial kitchen, everything off off sixty five amps, and yeah, I, I, honestly, I don't know how it's working, but it is. <laughs> That's crazy. Will it like if it ever goes over? Will it click over to the co-generator? How does that work? Yeah, well, we've got two two-phase systems. So we've got a um, this fancy thing called a, a BMS or a building management system. So it kicks in and it regulates the different phases, and it can actually shut equipment off if we need to to stay under that sixty-five. But if we needed that sixty, if we needed to go beyond that, um, yeah, we could we could um, kick that gas-fired um, plant into into gear, but we haven't had to do it yet. Yeah. I mean, good as a backup, but it sounds like that would have been an expensive investment uh, that you might not have needed. Yeah. <laughs> it's a roof ornament at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but sit, sit, sitting up on a big pad above the, above the toilets out the back, it's crazy, you know, to think <laughs> that it's sitting there because we, we thought we'd need it to be, even be able to run and now we're kind of... We did spend quite a bit on this BMS to make sure that we were safe in that aspect. So, you know, that's mm-hmm. working for us. But, um, you know, there's probably some savings we could be making by using that co-generator. So we'll be we'll be looking yeah. into that soon enough. We've had too many other things to consider over the last year or two. I bet. Yeah, we'll definitely have to get on to that. Yeah. Um, one thing that, that sort of jumped out at me that was really interesting about, especially about the water, um, I'm 
was doing I did an article last week just about um like pH correction equipment in the brewery and what to do with your wastewater and and all that kind of stuff so how did all that work out um I know this is something that people kind of don't think about when they're building a brewery that this could be one of the biggest issues that they might have to deal with um so how did all that work out and and did you have to um, invest in any of that sort of waste management equipment in the end I guess um our, our approval um, was set up so that we've got a, a filtration tank at the back, um, which also doubles up as our pH correction tank. So we measure pH and manually dose. Um, and what happened is after this had all been agreed and set up and signed off by Department of Fair Training and Sydney Water, we had a new um, Sydney Water officer come in who basically said, no, they want us to move to um, our auto dosing. Yeah, auto dosing and our solids being filtered before it hits the filtration tank. So putting um, floor baskets into the waste system and, and all of this sort of stuff, which was just going to be a nightmare for us. Um, and we actually wound up talking to some pretty senior people in, in Sydney Water and in the end they allowed us to, to sort of continue operating as we are. Um, but with just, I, I guess, a, some pretty detailed record keeping on, on our behalf in, in terms of um, how we're doing our dosing, when we're doing our dosing, um, amounts that we're dosing with. And, and that, that's all worked out, you know, fine for us and fine for Sydney Water. And we, things so far, touch wood, have, have been good um, with those guys ever since. I think Steve, Steve left out a little... A little part of that story there he had to dig <laughs> deep into legislation and policy to work out how and why they were coming at us at this point um and i think we in the end went back to them and said look your your current legislation doesn't doesn't allow you to tell us we need to do that so we're not going to do it um oh yes <laughs> yeah, on, quite a good win for steve <laughs> on that one and but, absolutely yeah they have come back and said yeah but we are now going to update our legislation. We'll be coming back to you in a, in a year's time or something. So, Oh, no. Oh, but at least it gives you a little bit of time. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> Did you expect that to be one of the biggest problems when building a brewery? We knew it was something we were going to have to deal with um, and we were, we were quite happy to do it. And in all honesty, if they had have said to us up front that we, you, we want us to do all these different systems, we would have done it. The, the problem was coming in. I think it was like six months after we'd finished the build and then telling us to retrofit. The the cost of retrofitting is like, you know, so much more expensive than if we had just done it up front. Um, so, yeah, we're quite happy to do it. And in time we'll, we'll probably have to upgrade some systems and we'll probably move to what, what they want us to do voluntarily. But, um, yeah, at the time it was just a, it was a bit of a kick in the guts because it was also just when COVID had came in and, you know, our cash flow was, was um, not looking too good and doing an expensive retrofit at, at that time of, um, of things was not, not good for us. Yeah, I imagine. And, like, we've touched on COVID now, but and it's, it's something that's always there. It feels like the elephant in the room. Like, we need to talk about it, and I'm very interested to hear your experiences, but I bet at this point you're probably sick of hearing about it um, from a business and a personal perspective. So how did it go? Because you guys opened, what, a few months? Two, um, two, not even? Two before? weeks. 
Two weeks. Oh, two weeks. Two weeks yeah, we got, before COVID hit. We got our first our first opening week with no restrictions, and then our second week we we got the first first layer of restrictions. I think that's how it worked, wasn't Steve? Yeah, we were cut down to half capacity in the second week with the social distancing, and week three we were closed. Yeah. Take away hand can sales from the um, over the counter. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, and that must have been hard, especially as a new brewery. Didn't necessarily have the brand awareness required for like loads of online sales, or like I imagine it was a lot of support from the local community that got you through that. Yeah, look, we weren't we weren't packaging or wholesaling, um, or even Mm -hmm. set up for that anyway. So. Um, it's not like we, you know, brand awareness was an issue there, but yeah, like you said, it was local community and people, you know, we, we could not get enough growler sales, um, you know, enough product in to sell enough growlers. It was, it was consistent. Some, some Saturday mornings we had probably a hundred person lineup out the door, down the ramp, around the front of the street, people waiting to fill up their growlers and things. So definitely had Mm -hmm. some good support there. Um, but obviously, you know, still not the same of having 500 people through your door on a Friday evening type thing. So, um, yeah, it was pretty hard. Yeah, that's it. So how did you manage it? How did you keep everything afloat? Growlers, literally. <laughs> just just growlers for like the full <laughs> year, year and a half, do you? They take away food as well. So yeah. we, we, we just took, we battened down the hatches um, and we assembled a really good, team of full-time staff um, with our kitchen and bar management. And so we we kept those guys on with, with the help of JobKeeper. Um, unfortunately, we, we couldn't afford to keep our casuals on. We didn't we just didn't have the cash for that. Um, but uh, luckily for those guys, they all got JobKeeper as well. And I think um, some of them probably ran up a, a bit better off than, than just, um, you know, casual hours. Um, so yeah, we just had to really keep a close eye on cash flow um, and you know get the community to support us. And we, we basically stayed alive. We, we we lost a little bit of money during the first year uh, of COVID, um, but it wasn't wasn't enough to sink us. In, in all honesty, the second year was probably a bit harder on us. Why was that? There's a bit less government support, um, and mm-hmm. I think community wise, like you kind of motion to before everyone was sick of COVID and um you know I think there was some there was in the first year there was that government funding to get people out and spending still and things like that and that just all faded away in the second year people just didn't bother didn't go out um you know and to be honest I was the same I you know I wasn't I wasn't trying to head out and things and spend money everyone just kind of did their own thing at home and we just yeah we seem to seem to slow down a bit there and then following the lockdowns um, La Nina hit and we've just been battered by rain ever since it's been crazy oh my God. but are people coming back in slowly yeah it's been picking up over the last couple of months but um, you know those two three months after COVID lockdowns were probably probably our, our slowest since we opened we would you agree yeah. Steve I think they were pretty poor. Oh, no. Yeah, so December, January, the most recent one was um, terrible for us. I think a lot of people just sort of, even though we weren't in lockdown, um, Omicron was sort of running rampant and and people just didn't go out. They just stayed at home and uh, were, were avoiding going out. 
Um, so, you, you know, December, January is normally our best trading period. Um, or we'd expect it to be. <laughs> and we don't, we don't yeah, know we're not sure yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We, we lost money over December, January. And we, we wound up in a point we had to shut down um, between Christmas and over that New Year's period because we'd had a whole lot of close contacts at work um, and we couldn't couldn't actually staff um, the kitchen, couldn't staff the bar because all these people were in isolation as close contacts. Um, we had staff get COVID and, you know, if they'd been at work, then, um, you know, the people they worked with had to isolate for another week. It was just a, it was just disastrous. There was just no confidence in, in being able to run and I think people in the community weren't very confident about going out because they didn't want to catch Omicron. Mm-hmm. But then things turned in February. Um, so we're back in the, we've been back in the black since February and they're just the vibes change. People... Well, I think we're, everybody's learning to live with the virus now rather than be scared of it. Um, we, we, our trading's much improved over the last couple of months, which has been an absolute relief. I bet. Um, and, and that's the thing about Bolag. It looks like a beautiful place to live and like a lovely local community. How much will or do you expect any trade to be from like tourists? Um, are there a lot, are going to be a lot of people coming from Sydney, for example? Yeah, we do get a lot of Sydney traffic. We're right on the train line. Um, we we share the car park with um, with the train station, so a lot of people do get the train. Um, we, you know, we're a part of the um, South Coast Ale Trail, uh, so we do. Yeah, we do see a lot. Um, we probably need to, you know, we would hope to see see that grow now that we're kind of back to some kind of normality, but. Um, you know, it's everything's just so so different at the moment. Yeah, and it, it's a good day out from Sydney. You can get the train down, jump off at Resin, have lunch and beers at Resin, and then jump on the bus and go to Rube Goldberg's at Tarawana, and then jump on another bus and go to Five Barrels down in Wollongong. So there's there's quite a few breweries in Wollongong now, and it's um yeah, it's quite easy to move around with public transport as well. So it's it's kind of ideal for. You know, a, a big Saturday out or a big Sunday out if, if um, people are coming down from, from Sydney. The other thing is we're really quite close proximity to Western Sydney. Um, so everything from the sort of – we get people from Penrith, Oran Park, um, Campbelltown, that sort of region. Uh, they they come down to the beach and whatnot and then come over for a beer afterwards. So we do we do get a lot of people from out that way too, which is great. Yeah, that's fantastic. But it's really good that you haven't had to rely on that or you didn't rely on that before um, COVID hit because obviously that would have been <laughs> a bit of even more of a stressful time, I imagine, uh, for you. Uh, but one of the other things I always noticed, noticed about resin, so obviously follow you guys on social media and always see this amazing food um, coming out of resin. Now, usually... Uh, or maybe I should say the perception is of a brewery or a brew pub that they very much do, you know, your classic pub grub. Um, you know, not 100% saying that it's like top quality stuff. Uh, might just be like a beer and a burger type situation. Uh, but resin seems to take that and then like crank it up a notch. And hospitality sounds like it was a big focus for you guys as well. So how has that gone and, and how have you been managing that? How do you decide uh 
what kind of menu you've got. Do you do a lot of beer and food pairings, for example? Um, how important is the hospitality, like the food side of things to you as well? Yeah, from the, from the start, in our early business planning days, even though those business plans went out the window pretty quick, um, you know, Steve and, Steve <laughs> and I decided that food was going to be a focus. We wanted to have that brew pub a location in Bulai for the surrounds for people to come and enjoy. And we wanted that we wanted that family orientation as well where where you don't just have people coming and having a few pints, but the whole family can come and enjoy a meal and whoever wants to have a beer can have a beer. So you're not just restricted to the to the craft beer trade. Mm-hmm. And you know there's not a whole lot especially in Bulai, there's not a whole lot of options for eating. Um, you know five, ten minutes away in Thoreau, you get a lot more options. But where we are, we're pretty much it. Um, so we just, from the start, we just had a focus that we wanted to have a slightly elevated menu that gave people options to actually head out for dinner as well. Um, so we focused on that from the start, made sure we approached and put it out there that we were looking for, um, you know, high-quality chefs, not just like you said, that pub grub, and we've been lucky that we've mm-hmm. had some, um, yeah, we've had some really good chefs. That's brilliant. And, like, on that kind of front, how, how are you finding um, getting hospitality and back and front of house staff at the minute? Because I know that's been a struggle for people, especially in uh, potentially smaller towns, regional towns. Fr- front of house is pretty easy for us. We've got a, a really good university in Wollongong um, and lots of, very capable uni students looking for um, casual or part-time jobs in hospitality. So we've, I'd say most of our, our front-of-house staff are actually doing degrees at the same time. Um, Back-of-house has probably been our biggest challenge um, in the business other, other than COVID. There's a real, I guess, lack of supply of, of good chefs around and people tend to move around a lot. Very um, transient, Yeah. So we've had some good stability in our head chef, but uh, a lot of movement in in the other staff below him. So the sous chef, the commie chef, we've we've gone, we've had quite a lot of change over there. Um, where our current head chef is absolutely brilliant. He he's run kitchens for Rick Stein and Jamie Oliver. He's he's taken our food to another level. Um, with him on board, we've actually got chefs reaching out to us and wanting to work with us now. So it's it's kind of Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, the, yeah, we the, couldn't be happier with Dane. Um, he's yeah, he's he's really picked things up for us and taken a lot of the stresses that we had during and kind of post COVID. Um, so he's been on with us for probably three months now, Steve. Yeah, be, be about that. Yeah, and just a lot of feedback from the community as well. Just you know, they're starting to realise that the food's picked up another level on top of what it was, which was already good. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's next level now and we're really soaked. We were sitting down having a beer last week and um, Dane always brings up his um, his specials. And he's, he's like, I think I'm going to try this swordfish ceviche as um, a special this week. Made some for you guys. Could, do you want to try it out? And I think yes. We've eaten it. I think Brendan's <laughs> response was, I think this is possibly the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. It was oh, so good. <laughs> So You'll be packing on the pounds, you two. Yeah, yeah, yep. That's a definite issue. <laughs> oh, that is fantastic. It's really good to hear. Um, and and what about on the brewing side of things in terms of getting people in? Are you guys doing all the brewing yourselves? Do you have an assistant brewer? Uh, and what are the plans for that? 
We were. We um we were we were both brewing for the first twelve to eighteen months. And that was, you know, that was hard trying to run a business and um, do all the brewing as well. Um, it made it a little bit easier, I guess, in terms of with COVID, with things slowing down. So we weren't as stressed trying to keep stock um, where it needed to be for constant turnover of a usual week. And we now have a, yeah, we now have a brewer on that's that's doing all the, all the cellar and brew work at the moment. So Steve and I are out of the brew space. Is that nice or are you sad about it? Uh, um probably i probably should get in there a little bit more than i do um scott's really capable um we're yeah really happy to have him so he's he's kind of getting it all done um and no need to tread on his toes so yeah no i'm 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 fine being out there's plenty to do business wise so um and to tell you the truth it, it feels good to provide you know good solid um jobs and careers for people in the local area yeah. And I guess one, one thing with getting Scott on as, as a brewer, the the thing that gave us the confidence to do that was when um, they made the changes to excise. Um, it's we, we did the numbers on that and that oh, yeah. rather than giving that money as tax to the government, we put that money directly into employing a, a brewer. So I think that was the intention of, of what the scheme was meant to do and, and it's, absolutely. it's absolutely changed our whole um, our thoughts on on um on how we do things so i hope that scheme that's stays fantastic, isn't it? yeah that'll be brilliant wouldn't it oh wonderful but tell me that you guys still get a little bit of a uh, little bit involved in uh npd and testing out and <laughs> quality assurance uh when it comes to the brewing bit of bit of things yeah definitely a bit of quality assurance um staff <laughs> if you had staff on they'd definitely say that's all we really do um, <laughs> just pure quality assurance. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, often at eight AM when your palate's at its best, so <laughs> got to do what you got to do. You got to do it. You got to do it. And in terms of sort of the, the actual quality side of things, um, it must be—is it tricky when you're running like a hospitality venue and the brewing? How do you guys keep on top of everything quality-wise and safety-wise uh, in the brewery as well? Well, I guess the first thing there, you, you employ good people um, and you get the right culture. So you, you've got to articulate what, what your values are. Um, if your value is do things as you know, cheaply and quickly as you can and cut corners, then you're going to have problems. But if your values are about, you know, the the, the value of your staff, the safety of your staff, the, the quality of your product, then if you set the culture right and you get the right people who have those sort of values as well, then it, it's... It makes that job a lot easier. One thing that did catch my ear, uh, no packaging. Um, so don't do anything wholesale-wise. We didn't early. We do oh, now. Oh, you didn't. You yeah. do now. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So why why did you make that change? And, and how, do you can in-house? Do you have a counting machine? Yeah, it was all, it was always the plan to, to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, COVID changed things, obviously. But we always had the plan to, you know, maybe expand and move into a um you know packaging wholesale type realm um it's just taken a bit longer to get there we don't have the space on site to do any of that so it would mean quite a significant jump to get there um so at the moment we are we we get a mobile canning line in and we're we're doing mm-hmm. we're doing probably three skews a month um you know about 2000 liters a month 
in the packaging. Mm-hmm. We've also got a little um, October um, hand seamer that we do kind of on demand stuff. So a lot of the a lot of the locals, you know, come in just to get their to get their quick, easy, easy fix and take away a four or a six pack type thing. So we've just got a little fridge that we stock mm-hmm. up um, and keep that ready to go, and people come in and 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 take that way as well. And you want to grow that side of things. Um, like I imagine it's much easier to get into sort of local pubs and restaurants and stuff. What about um, going bigger than that? Do you think that would be on the cards? Well, you know, I'd never say never, but it's at the moment it's not a big priority for us. Um, there's a lot of brewing capacity out there and it's, um, I, I guess, some fear that to, for us to do that, that would require a massive capital investment to get to a scale where um, where that would be viable for us. But at the same time, you've, there's a lot of other players um, in the industry that are expanding. There's a lot of tank space out there. And, um, you know, going to that next level and having to coordinate all the logistics and, and get to a volume to make that work is, is probably not where we're at at the moment. Mm-hmm. But never say never, but um, we're more yeah. just focused on getting the, the brewery humming. We've got probably about a thousand litres of excess capacity a week that mm-hmm. we're looking to, to move through kegs and um, and some packaging and a bit more of a local focus with that. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, if we can get that sort of running at, at its optimum level, then, then that would be the point that we might look at expansion. Mm-hmm. Well, happy to stay as you are for now. As you say, you've had a couple of rough years and yeah. still alive and kicking. Um, but <laughs> maybe maybe be a little bit more comfortable for the next year or two before deciding on a, like you say, a massive capital investment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and another massive Definitely. project. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Cool. So I guess, and this is what I always ask, uh, and I'm sure I've asked you before, guys, what advice would you give um, a new brewery setting up? Anything that you were surprised about? Anything that you were like, oh, God, I wish I'd known this before we started? Uh, what What would you tell them? The biggest thing would be the services um, for us in terms of, mm-hmm. I guess, just the logistical challenges of making sure the electricity, gas, water, sewer, all of that was going to work. And I, I think probably the next question you'd want to be asking yourself is whether you want to do a brew pub model or whether you want to go into packaging production wholesaling because they're very different businesses yeah steve steve touched on that before the the brew pub you know and i wouldn't wouldn't change it in a heartbeat but the the hospitality side of it and the kitchen definitely has has had its draining effect on us it's probably been the one thing that we've kind of sat down in meetings together and gone you know (laughs) was this the right was this the right way to go um (laughs) Yeah. Why have we done this? Yeah, just you know that front of house, yeah. back of house, and having a having a full functioning, you know, because the kitchen was running seven days a week. We've kind of scaled that back to five now. Mm-hmm. Just doing a, a minimal menu on Monday, Tuesdays. We still get a few people through, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, just that the kitchen and and food side of things. And neither of us come from a hospitality background. We'd worked a little bit in hospitality, but so just just managing and dealing that has been quite tricky. A lot of other breweries go down the, um, you know, the, the food truck, the van type um, mm-hmm. avenue, and maybe that's the way to go. 
<laughs> yeah, then you don't have to worry about kitchen or back of house staff or exactly. chefs. Or... Yep. <laughs> Not that we don't love doing, but it would be a worry off your mind, I imagine. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you've been in the industry a couple of years now. Um, I'd say fully embedded uh, in what you guys are doing. What have you, your perceptions of the industry been like since you've been in there? How do you find it being in this industry and I imagine it's you've already talked about how different it is in terms of um your not just day to day but how about how different was it from your previous industry I'd say probably the first thing that struck me about the industry was how supportive the other brewers were in um in our region in in the Wollongong region with us coming on board and they've reached out to us and offered us help and um, advice and we've, we've actually made some good friendships along the way from that whereas I guess coming from a, a consulting background which is quite competitive we, we probably had some thoughts that maybe there would be um, some competitive tensions and there's been absolutely none of that which has been absolutely brilliant um, just seeing how well the industry works together and supports one another and I think the sort of philosophy is we're not competing against one another we're competing against you know these big multinational brands and we're actually just trying to collectively in, increase the i know i guess the size of the pie that the the craft beer market takes out of the total beer market so that's probably the the biggest thing and the most i don't know profound thing that i love about the industry that's fantastic and so lovely to hear um, in comparison to another industry, obviously, um, you know, coming in, it is a business, you've got to make money. Um, but if we can support each other as well, that's even better. What are your plans then for resin? What what are we doing? In, have you got a five-year plan? Have you got a 10-year plan? Are you thinking of um, growing it big, selling it off? Are you happy to stay as a brew pub? What do you think? I know it's early days yet and a lot has gone on. It's definitely focus on the brew pub for now and just making mm-hmm. sure we've got that that base and, and the brew pub humming along. Um, no plans to sell or anything. Um, you know, mm-hmm. we love what we do and it's 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 good for both of us. Um, it's the the future you know, the future probably if we if we were to look five years ahead, um, would probably be, you know, expansion into some kind of packaging realm. But um at the moment, you know, following two years of COVID, it's um it's definitely let's just let's just focus on the brew pub for now. Cool. Well, guys, thank you so much. I've taken up so much of your time, um, but I really appreciate it. Um, thank you very much for coming on uh, Beer as a Conversation. Thanks, Claire. Thanks for having us. Good stuff.